We're in a uh, series called String Theory, and what we've been talking about is worship. It's a six-week series. And the idea is that, I don't, I don't know if you're like me, but I love the Discovery Channel, the History Channel, the Science Channel, like all that kind of stuff. And I, I spend a lot of my time sitting there going, oh, I wish I understood this. Like, it's so cool. I wish I, wish I knew what they were talking about. And uh, one of the things that comes up quite often is this idea of string theory. And that, the idea, and we've talked about it last week, so I won't go into it that much. But the idea is that we can kind of see things, we kind of can get to the atomic level, right? I mean, we, we know about protons, neutrons, and electrons. And uh, we still don't really understand how the protons and neutrons kind of like come to make a nucleus and then what keeps the electrons from just like flying off. But we're pretty smart. We, we got that part down. And, uh, but it's kind of hard to understand, well, what, what kind of holds that all together? And if you're like me, kind of just in layman's term, it just blows my mind that this is made up of atoms and like I'm made up of atoms. And it's just weird to me. It's just up, kind of above my head. So, uh, so, but I kind of understand this concept because I passed like junior high science and I had to pretend I did. Okay, but, but what keeps it all together, I have no idea. Well, scientists who've got, you know, like mega mind heads, they, they understand all this kind of stuff, but what they don't understand is what actually makes up the protons, neutrons, and electrons. Like, like what, what is the thing? We can't get smaller than that. And so they, 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 you know, have this Hadron Collider in Geneva, and they're trying to smash atoms together to, to make de- atom debris fly up so they can measure it and stuff. And I thought when you smash atoms together, you got like an atomic bomb, but a- apparently not. But they do it, and so they're, they're trying this stuff, and they're, they're not very close. And so, so they, if you kind of look at it this way, they get closer and now they're like at this level those strings aren't isn't the string theory it's just the trajectory of the electrons but the kind of the thing is what if you could get like way inside the atom and the neutron like the neutrons and protons and the theory is that there's actually another dimension and like i joked about last week you know don't i'm not going to freak out and i've not like there's this other dimension and we can all put on tennis shoes and drink Kool-Aid it, it's not that type of other dimension that there's this other kind of thing going on that 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 the they theorize these strings that kind of pulsate at a certain frequency and when they do they create the proton neutron and electron and we can't see it it's this other dimension so tiny that we don't have the technology to be able to see it and so what we've been talking about is that we serve a god who understands string theory. Like we serve a God that knows what the protons, neutrons, and electrons are made up of, and he knows the things that make up the things that the protons, neutrons, and electrons are made up of. Like that's the God we serve. He knows, he understands string theory. That's just at the molecular level. And, and then if you go the opposite way and you kind of look and, we're, and scientists are studying galaxies and we keep finding more and more galaxies upon galaxies upon galaxies and we, we, we serve a God who knows how many galaxies there are, knows how many stars there are. We don't even have a number that can explain how many stars there are and knows their names. I, I couldn't even name my third child. It like, took us forever. It, like, it had a baby book of names. You ever seen that? Where you're like, well, this one's pretty good. I don't know if there's a star book of names God had where it's like, you know, I don't know, 
of what Greek word you use or whatever. God knows all their names. God knows everything from the the farthest reaches of the galaxy all the way down to string theory. And so we've named this series String Theory to kind of just kind of remind us that we serve a God that knows this stuff. And what's really trippy is that this God loves us. This God knows everything about us. This God knows the number of hairs on our head. He knows the number of days in our lives. He knows all this kind of stuff. And so we were talking about how do we worship God in a way that just in our finite minds be able to, is able to grasp how deep and how wide and how great is his love for us? How, how, do we, how do we kind of like expand our mind a little bit? And we've been talking about the idea that, you know, there tends to be this kind of pop culture thing that says science and religion are at odds, and they're just not. The, the more science learns, the more I, I just praise my Heavenly Father that he was able to do all this. And the more science learns, the more they understand how much they don't learn. And so they discover stuff about, our, about God, and we, and, and we teach them about the faith, and it's kind of this great marriage. So we say, keep going. So our kind of our verse that we've been looking at um, throughout this whole thing is uh, found in Colossians verse one, oh, chapter 1, verse 17. And this is the verse that kind of hangs this whole series together. And, and hopefully we'll have it memorized by the end of six weeks. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That's the verse. That was our point for last week. He is before all things, and in him all, all things hold together. Let's say that together, just kind of. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Let's do it one more time. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That's our memory verse. So we started talking a little bit, just exploring in our intro last week about the concept of, man, he's in all things. Like God is like, like, like he's holding it all together. That's crazy. <laughs> That's weird. As we kind of discuss like the force that kind of holds it all together. And again, I'm, I'm not getting freaky on you guys, okay? I'm just telling you. As we kind of discover all this, man, we're just in awe about how great our God is. Well, Jesus has been, was talking about this force, this other dimension, if you will, 2,000 years ago. Jesus was talking about, like, go after it, seek it. It's, I, we know it's in, he knows it's invisible. He knows it's hard to see. But, but there's this other kind of dimension, if you will, that God wants us pursuing. And what I'm hoping to do this morning is maybe kind of see, see the church for the two mistakes we can make or the two extremes, if you will, that we can head into as we kind of discuss, well, how big is God? And what is this realm, which we call the kingdom of God? What is it really like? How does it really affect me? The church is kind of, kind of in two camps, if you will. These are general stereotypes, but as I begin to describe them, uh, these will probably resonate with you. The one camp is what I call the word camp. They are all about the word. If it's not in the word, it ain't going to happen. If, 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 there's, if you can't show God is kind of, to the extreme, limited to what's in the Bible. Now he, he kind of says, this is it. And if, if, if something starts happening that's different than it's in the word, then there's something wrong. And, and, and 
the people in this extreme of the camp end their sentences with brother. It's about the word, brother. Yeah, it's all about the word, brother. And I, I, I met another one of these guys. Um, I was at a warehouse just this last week. And he says, are you a pastor? And I said, yeah, <laughs> which, you know, I, I never know how to answer that. Like, like you know, I'm, are you going to hit me? Are you gonna, it, it all depends, you know. I depended if you're wounded by the church, which many people have. So I'm like, yeah. And he says, do you preach the word, brother? And I went, well, I hope so. I, I, I think I do. What do you, what do you mean? And so we, we started kind of dialoguing about that. And he said, hardly any pastors preach the word. And I'm like, really? <laughs> like, really? Hardly any pastors? I know probably... 75 pastors, and they, they all pretty much do, you know. It's just, what do you mean by that? So there's that camp, and we can poke fun at them and make fun of them and all this kind of stuff. Here's the problem. I was in that camp. I was that guy. I would read the Bible for the sole purpose of being able to argue with other Christians and show them how this doctrine's wrong and this doctrine's wrong, and that's, oh, you're just having your ears tickled, brother. You're just, uh, you're just taking the milk of the word. It's time for the meat of the word. I would be shocked if a pastor preached less than 50 minutes. That's just, that's just a sissy sermon under 50 minutes. Of course, then I started preaching. I'm like, Man, I don't have the energy, right? <laughs> As like, like the first 25 is just light stretching before, you know, that's just historical background. We're like getting into it. And then by, you know, 40 and, you know, by, by minute 50, you've accepted Christ all over again. You've been You've been beaten up and you're ready to go. And that's a great church service, brother. That's that service. Swing all the way over here. These people just want the holy fire to rain down and just speak it in tongues and want the move of God and people to be flopping around and dancing around. And like the more it's just like crazy, the better. And it just wants, it's, it's all this kind of stuff. Again, we're talking stereotypes. They just want, it's just like, oh man, you know, they'll march around the campus 50 times spraying oil all over the church, kind of just like going, man, holy fire, rain out, rain out, rain out. Here's, here's the thing, here's the thing. We can make fun of them, but I was in that camp. Here's how it happened. I, uh, I was in this camp here, um, and I, I, was, I, was, I was doing my best to uh, berate other denominations and kind of uh, root out heresy and apostasy wherever I could find it. And my mom got involved in this thing called the Toronto Blessing. I don't know if you remember it. It was back in the 90s. Uh, lots of crazy stuff going on. People laughing and falling on the ground and howling and all this kind of stuff. And so uh, my, my brother calls me up and, and, and he says to, you know, Mom... Mom's going, to the, mom's going to the Toronto Blessing stuff. Like, we need to have an intervention. Like a, like a Bible answer man intervention, okay? And, but he's in New Jersey. I'm in California. So he says, would you go to one of the meetings and kind of like rescue mom out of this, out of this thing? And uh, so I'm like, are you kidding me? This is why I was a Christian, like to go places and find out what's wrong and then expose it. Like, like that's my spiritual gift is to walk into church services and point out everything wrong. 
from the, from the time they open it up to announcements, to the sermon, to the closing thing, to how they do the offering. Like, yes, I'll do it. Are you kidding me? Happy day. So I take my New American Standard version, and I get that. I get my concordance. I get my Vines Expository Dictionary. I get my Naves Topical Study Bible. I get my, I got everything. I'm, I'm ready, and I, I, I enter into this uh, this church service, if you can even call it that, ready to go. So they, they start with the worship and everything, and I'm just like, you know, I'm, I'm just ready. I mean, I mean the, the, my spiritual gift of criticism and, and, uh, is, just, <laughs> is just pulsating. You could sense it. I'm, I'm ready to rain down fire. From the word, brother. And uh, so the guy starts preaching out of the NIV, right? Nearly inspired version. And uh, which is what I preach out of now, by the way. Um, And so that was his first problem. And I I knew it was going to be a big deal. And so in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, he, uh, he starts talking about I want to know him. He says, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. I'm I'm like, okay, you know. He just says it again. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. He's like, don't you want to know him? Don't you want to know him and the power of his resurrection that conquers sin and death, sets the captives free, lets people just like free of their sin, they're washed in the blood of Christ, they enter eternity with Jesus. It's like, I want to know him and I want to know the power of his resurrection, that Holy Spirit power, the power that shook the chains when the apostle Paul and Silas were in prison and, and, and their chains fell off and the guard comes in thinking everyone's leaving and, and they're not and they're praising God and they're singing praises in the midst of their backs being hit, hit by rods. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings and all of a sudden without warning, I felt God on me. on me. Now listen, for those of you in this camp, I know what you're thinking. Because I was thinking the same thing. I got to get out of here. They're messing with my mind. Like, it's all sleight of hand. Uh, something, they did something in the water. I, I don't know. They, 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 the air conditioning is not on. It's too hot. I, I'm starting to get delirious. Like, I, but I felt God on me. And I began to just kind of like, like just kind of I, I, couldn't, I couldn't get up. And so I, he, he goes, listen, he gets done with his sermon, and I, didn't, I don't even know what he said after I want to know him. Because I felt God so clearly tell me right to my face in that moment, you don't know me. You don't know me. And it was, I was broken. I began to weep. I, I began to just cry out to God saying, please forgive me. I, I, I know of you. I know I can argue you. <laughs> I know stuff about you. I know historical data. I can quote verse after verse after verse. But to feel the presence of God on me was awesome. 
And so he says at the end, if anyone wants to come up for prayer, and I thought, oh boy, I don't think this is a good idea. And now my wife, she's just like, she's like jamming up there, like, woo! I mean, she's just like, that's her. She just, she's just, she's been in this camp a long time, and I've been in this camp, and that's what I thought made the marriage really great. Okay, if you're... If you're kind of weird, talk to my wife. And if you want the word, brother, you come talk to me. You know, and and, and so she she's she's up there. And so I I get up I get up and and this dude comes up. I never met him before in my life, and I stand there, and I mean I can just feel God on me. It's like I'm carrying him on my shoulders, and 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 he just says, "You are called to be a shepherd," and I just went, and I fell over. And I could not get up. I couldn't get up. And I'm sitting here going, my brother's going to kill me. <laughs> like, I, he sent me in to go, like, do reconnaissance, and I joined the enemy. Like, like, what am I doing? And so I'm lying there, and I cannot, I'm like, if I can just move a finger. I couldn't move anything. I am flat out dead. It's like, it's like someone were laying on top of me. And I'm thinking to myself, all these thoughts, and I'm thinking, if I'm having these thoughts... It can't be God, right? I'm thinking to myself, well, should I try to get up? What am I doing here? How did this happen to me? You'd think if it were God, you'd just be like, uh, you know, dancing in the lily pads, like up, up in heaven somewhere. But I'm thinking, I can't move. But just that presence of God. And I look over, and Lisa's right next to me. And she's down, she's got this big smile on her face, and she's like curled up in a ball. And I said, honey, can you get up? <laughs> This is a true, true story. She says, why would you want to get up? I thought, this is, why would I want, why would I want to get up? What, what am I trying to do? Am I trying to get back here again? Where it's safe, where I know, where I can rely on my own study and my own thing and my own time I spent in the word brother and I, I, I can just, I know it's true because I've gone and studied and studied and studied and studied. Like what was I afraid of to just kind of check out this camp a little bit? If you're in this camp, maybe you've had the exact opposite thing. Maybe you've just had unbelievable experiences and you're just trying to get that experience over and over and over again. And sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't and whatever. And, and you're thinking, man, you know what? I don't, I don't know if I know enough about what's going on in that camp. Jesus met this woman uh, in John chapter 4. And uh, well, what happened was Jesus' ministry starts ramping up and um, the Pharisees find out that he's baptizing more people than John the Baptist, um, which I don't know if there was like a competition or like, I don't know what, why that was important to them. The Bible doesn't say, but it says the Pharisees started to find out that Jesus was baptizing more people than John and Jesus wasn't even baptizing. It was just his disciples. And so for some reason, the Bible tells us that prompts Jesus to leave Judea and to go into Galilee. And so he finds out that the Pharisees find out that he's baptizing more people, and for some reason it causes them to go. And so what he does is he decides to go through Samaria. Now, um, if you watch, um, like, movies, you know how they're chasing the, 
the, the good guy or the bad guy, and they get to the edge of the like enchanted forest or the haunted forest, and the bad guy goes into it, but no one else will because they've heard stories about monsters and stuff being in there. That's exactly what Jesus was doing. He got to Samaria. All the Pharisees are like, whoa, we ain't going in there. There's unclean people in there. And Jesus just waltzes right in and is like, it's just a forest. What's the big deal? And he goes in with his disciples, and there they are. And the disciples go to get food and leave Jesus at this well. And this is where we pick up the story. He's at this well, and the Samaritan woman, which those are two, two ways Jesus is beginning to all of a sudden shed the world of what's right and what's true, and I don't know, this has never happened before, and I, I, and he begins to enter into another dimension, this dimension of the kingdom, this dimension of the power of God that we can't see, and it kind of breaks dividing walls and does these things. So he, he makes two uh, errors if you were actually in the enchanted forest with him. He, he talks to a Samaritan, and he talks to a woman. You just didn't do either of those, especially uh, alone, which is what happened. They were alone. So here's what happened. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. This is just a little parenthetical statement that the writer John put in there, which is really cool. I love this kind of stuff in Scripture because it shows you who John's audience was. When John wrote this gospel, he was writing to someone that he had to inform them that Jews and Samaritans didn't associate uh, with each other. It's really cool. Now, Jesus begins to make a statement that begins to all of a sudden show this woman. Well, she doesn't get it yet. But Jesus begins to bring in to this just normal day-to-day act of getting water. Jesus brings in another concept that's going to end up blindsiding her. Like just the day-to-day, she goes to get water, just like the day before and like the day before and like the day before, And one day, Jesus is there. And Jesus is going to rock her world. Watch what he says. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Jesus begins to just kind of like go, You know what? It's not about getting water every day. It's not about life. There's some other dimension. There's some other thing happening in a realm that we can't see. That's oftentimes difficult for us to explain, oftentimes difficult for us to understand. Jesus says, if you knew right now what's about to happen, you'd be asking me for water. And the Samaritan woman, you don't blame her. She doesn't like go, oh, do you mean, uh, oh, I know what you're talking about. You're talking about the Holy Spirit that's going to come in and it's going to like radically change my life. And uh, oh, she, Of course not. She doesn't know this. She doesn't know what's going on. And so she just starts going back to the water thing. She says, you don't have a, any way to get the water out of there. This is Jacob's well. Are you better than Jacob? You're going to get water without, without a utensil to go get the water? Come on. How are you going to get me water? Again, she's just thinking totally in just a physical, three-dimensional world that we all live in. Jesus says this. 
Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. In this verse here, Jesus brings in something that is totally different than how this girl's day started out. She went to go get water, and Jesus is talking about eternal life. Jesus is talking about a life with the Heavenly Father, our Creator, the guy who understands string theory, the God who put everything together. In Him, He's before all things, and in Him, all things hold together. And Jesus begins to start to go, it's not about getting water during the day. If you knew who you were talking to, if you knew the kind of power, what I represent, the kingdom I represent, you'd be going, give me that water. It's the water that wells up into eternal life. And see, we experience this all the time as we watch people come to Christ here at this church. You know, all of a sudden, something happens that none of us can explain. I've been a Christian for a long time and seen a lot of people come to Christ. I still can't explain how someone comes in with the weight of guilt and shame and their past and all this stuff, and Jesus frees them of it right like that. And they're free. And all of a sudden, that well just springs up in them to eternal life. Not eternal life, they die and go to heaven. Eternal life starts now. The kingdom of God is here. We'll see that in just a second. So the woman says, like any one of us would, you know, I want me some of that, right? The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming to draw water. Some of us come to God just like this. We want enough of God. We want enough of this spiritual stuff on this side, the kind of stuff we can't explain, the wacky stuff, to help our lives here. Like, oh, give me some, you know, things aren't working out at work. Can I have some peace? Thanks. It's the peace that surpasses all comprehension. Oh, yeah, that'd be great. Oh, my marriage isn't working out. Could you help me with some of the kind of spiritual, mystical stuff to kind of help my marriage, to help my job, to help my family, to kind of get me through this time? I really need a job. If I could get some little spiritual stuff, we could sprinkle on here, I'd get my job. But we don't want anything to make us look crazy or weird or kind of like freak out or have God weighing on us and you know, people doing crazy stuff. We don't want to go there. We just want enough. Some of us are here, and we want just enough truth to kind of validate what we're doing. Watch what Jesus does. This is very incredible. He says, uh, I, I, want, I want some of that water so I don't have to come here and drink. And Jesus is still trying to, under, to get her to understand. This ain't, we ain't talking about the well anymore. I've moved on. He told her, go call your husband and come back. That's the part of the story where she goes, Oh, no. Oh, how am I going to get out of this? She says, oh, I, I, like my husband, I don't have a husband. And Jesus kind of hits her right between the eyes with, no, nah, you don't. You've had five husbands, and the one you're living with isn't your husband. I don't know if you've ever dabbled in this part, this camp, and you read a Bible verse, and you went, oh, no. <laughs> like, thou, grace. We're in grace. It's grace. It's all about grace. We're in the era of grace. Oh, God doesn't, God doesn't march into cities and kill everyone anymore. That was Old Testament. Now we're grace, brother. We're grace-filled. 
You ever done that where you read a verse and you're like, shoot, now I know about it. I wish I'd never read that. This is what happens when you dabble in this camp here. When you, when you dabble in this one, God can sometimes just kind of go, that means that I'm going to have to, oh man, that means that. This is where this woman was. He said, no, nope, that's right. The dude you're living with isn't your husband. So she says these amazing words, I can see you are a prophet. <laughs> like not, oh yeah, well, the thing about that, my first husband, he was really weird, and then my second husband, she just, I can see you're a prophet. And then she tries to change the subject with, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And this is, a, this is an ongoing thing that's been going on with Samaritans and, uh, uh, and the nation of Israel, the Jews, for a long, 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 long time. But what's ironic is if you actually go to Samaria now, it's closer to ancient, they speak ancient Hebrew. If you go there, it's closer to the, the, what the Jewish nation looked like at that time than, than it, it is now. It's very interesting. But they've had this battle over which mountain they're going to worship on. That's a battle, kind of a battle you'd have in the scriptures. Calvinism, Arminianism, kind of all this kind of stuff, trying to figure out which is the right way and how much of this and how much of that and are the gifts for today and all this kind of stuff that we dabble in here. They were having the same thing. And then Jesus says this, Believe me, woman. Now, again, you have to go back to that particular era. But, husbands, if you want to, you know, use the word, you just say, Believe me, woman. You know, and, and you're like, Jesus said it. What's the big deal? Okay. No, I'm playing. Okay. Believe me, woman, listen to what he says, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. The Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Guess who she was talking to? The Jew that was bringing salvation. She has no idea that she's talking to God. In the flesh. I mean, she knows he's a prophet because, you know, you know, but word could have got, everyone in the town knew that she had five husbands. The guy she was living with wasn't her husband. Maybe word got out, but she picked prophet. God in the flesh is talking to her. And he says this, Yet a time is coming and has now come. That starts from there all the way to where we are now. When the true worshipers will worship the Father, in spirit and in truth. Both. And then he makes this incredible statement. He identifies what kind of worshiper you and I are supposed to be. Isn't that amazing? He said, like, well, man, I, what, what, what should I be? They are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Those that worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, here's the problem. Okay, because if you're like me, this is a, te a tension that is not managed overnight. Like, I think God is in the tension of going spirit or truth. I'll give you an example. Um, most of you know uh, my son Jesse has epilepsy. It's a struggle we've been dealing with for four years, since he was eight years old. He's had hundreds of seizures. Now, when we take him to prayer, and we've taken him to a lot of places for prayer. I, I, there's no dividing line for me. 
Like the, the Bible says, you take him to the elders, you anoint him with oil, and they pray over him. We've done that. We, we, we follow the word. I mean, that, that's what it says. You know, prayer of faith accomplishes, uh, the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Oh, I'll be righteous. I'll pray. I'll avail if, if I can, you know. Like, I've done that. We've taken them to the places, the healing places, where it was like, man, somebody's the Spirit of God moved somewhere, and somebody was touched, and we felt like the woman with the hem of the garment. And I'd pray that. I'd pray, God, just let me touch the hem of your garment. Just let me just for a second, just, just miraculously do it. Just let me touch the hem of your garment. And so you, as parents and, and as a Christian, I found myself in this struggle that I think we all go through. It's like I live in this physical world, and yet I know there's another dimension. I know there's something spiritual going on. And so one week, he had eight seizures, and, and, and they stopped. Like, like they just stopped. And he hasn't had a seizure for four months. And, and so, well, thank you. But here's the problem. Here's the thing. Even as we clap, I don't know what to do. Like, I, I don't, I don't, like, 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 we, like, here's the thing. We'd be around people who are in this camp, and if he wouldn't have a seizure for one day, they'd just be, just claim it. Claim it in the name of Jesus. Just speak against that epilepsy and make it be gone. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I'd do that. And three days later, he'd have a seizure. And this camp was going, you know what? Sometimes it's just the way it goes. You know, God is sovereign, and we're living in a fallen world. And, you know, hey, people have seizures, and that's, you know, what makes you any more special than anyone else. Why should your son be healed and this person isn't? God's sovereign. He's on the throne. We're in a fallen world. Someday it's going to be burned up in fire and cut in half, and there's new heaven and new earth, and then you can go, and you'll be praising God forever for it. And I go, oh, thanks, brother. <laughs> right? And so even in the midst of life, I would find myself struggling. Am I, am I being holy enough? Am I doing all the right stuff? Do, am I, do I have enough faith to, to make it happen? And you know what I find in both camps? It's all about me. I need to have enough faith. I need to whip it up. I need to get to the right place. I need to believe enough, do enough, dance enough, whatever. Or here, I need to read enough, know enough. Just be okay with it. So four months without any seizures. Before that, he, he's gone 21 days. And, and so I, I'm like, he's healed. And, and then here's what, would here's what else would happen. And, and, and don't, I'm not just... There are people who'd pray for four years, four years. They'd pray, 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 pray. I tell them, it's been four months. And they go, well, maybe he grew out of it. I'm like, what? <laughs> You've been praying for four years and that's the best you can do? Maybe he grew out of it? Like, how about a little praise the Lord or something? I mean, can't you just dip your foot in this camp for a second to just kind of, right? But, but don't, you, don't you find yourself in this tension all the time? And Jesus says, there's, come, there's coming a time when, when he wants the true worshipers to be in that tension, to be stretched into believing God can do anything in the Spirit of God, that, that God is just beyond all we can ask, think, or imagine. And yet he's got these truths that he's put time principles that are set for us that we can't mess with. So he says this, God is spirit. And his worshipers must 
worship in spirit and in truth. Sometimes that's really hard. Sometimes I I find myself over here and I want to explain everything and kind of drift back over and kind of come up with an answer for everything. And other times I'm sitting over here and I just want to feel that weight again of God on me and I want to be plastered to the floor just going, I don't want to get up. So she says, I know the Messiah is going to tell us everything. I mean, can you imagine? You're talking to Jesus and you're like, yeah, I've heard of this this Messiah guy. One time this happened to me where I was here and uh, someone came up to me and they were just like, "Um, if you see the pastor, I'd like to talk to him, right? You know, and it's like, right? I, I, who you speak to, am he. As a matter of fact, that's exactly what Jesus said. And Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Of course, I wouldn't say it that way because I can barely say that, but... Jesus says, I'm it. Now listen, listen how fantastic this is. The people who were here, the Pharisees, knew the law, made up their own laws, kind of all this kind of stuff. Jesus never told them. And then this Samaritan woman, outside of all the rules and kind of outside of all the kind of stuff, Jesus declares he's the Messiah to a woman and to a Samaritan. And Jesus says, I want true worshipers who will start breaking down the boxes that we've put in our lives, the expectations that we don't have for God anymore because we can explain them away. Or we've so wrapped up in here, we're just going, why isn't God moving? Why isn't God moving? Why isn't God moving? And God's going, because the one you're with is not your husband. We got to get that truth stuff worked out. Like the reason I'm not showing up is because you've got to open up your Bible and start looking at your life and going, how, how does it measure up? Before God, not before each other or for each other. So he says, I'm, I'm you, and then, then the, I'm he, and then the, the disciples come back, and it's kind of hints that they're like, what's he talking to that woman? Like, they're kind of going, and it says, but nobody would ask him why. I'll bet. I'll bet they've been around Jesus long and they've gotten like slapped a few times and no, I ain't talking to him about it. I don't know. Maybe it's his sister. uh, Let's just, you know, I don't want to deal with it. Now watch this. This is so cool. Then leaving her water jar. Why was she there in the first place? To get water. It was just day to day to day to day, day, same old stuff and she meets Jesus. Listen to me. This is this realm I'm talking about. Day to day, you take the same commute over and over and over and over and over and over again, and then one commute, you're overwhelmed with a sense of God's presence in your car, and you got the fish on or some your, your Pandora or whatever, and you just begin to worship God because the Spirit of God entered, just kind of crashed into your world. If you're in this camp, I would encourage you, let that happen. Sometimes there's just a flood of emotion you're reading the Word, and you just start crying. You, maybe you play guitar, and you're playing a Jimi Hendrix tune, and you just like flip into one of the worship songs, and you're just like, man, you're on your knees before God, weeping, playing your guitar. Let it go. Let it happen. She just leaves her water jar. It ain't about getting water anymore for her. She goes into town. She goes back into town. She said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Could this actually match up with that in a way that that would make sense? This is the question she's asking. 
So the disciples, they come out of town, they tell him to eat something, and Jesus makes this amazing statement, which I think really kind of marries the two together, these two camps, if you will. He says, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Like, what? And he starts the process all over again. It's not about this kingdom. There's another dimension, a spiritual dimension that God wants to invade your life based on the truth of the word. And God wants the truth of the word, your firm foundation with a joy of the Lord that is unmatched and peace that surpasses all comprehension. Those are the worshipers God's looking for. And to be honest, I'm not, I'm not there. I'm trying, but I always find myself kind of like dabbling in one or the other. And then this is the, this is the thing. This is the whole culmination of it all. My food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me 